I mean, I think I've seen people launch a hardware product like without a crowdfunding campaign. I think that's like a mistake. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Masters of Crowdfunding podcast. Today, we have Tyler. Tyler is the creator of Polycade, a arcade gaming platform that just raised $1.65 million on Kickstarter for their modular arcade system. Welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thanks, Kevin. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we were exchanging emails a couple months ago and when your campaign was just going live. And I said, hey, it'd be really nice for you to come on while everything is fresh. And you said, don't worry about freshness. I've been doing this for eight years and this is the first time we had a product launch really work and the process is burned into my memory. (laughs) (laughs) Can you elaborate a little bit more on that for me, please? Yeah, totally. You know, so we've, yeah, like I said, we've been, we've been doing this for eight years. We actually launched with a Kickstarter campaign in 2015 to got the company started that way. And we've been through like the startup twists and turns, right? For every step of the way, you know, from launching that initial campaign to where like once we got, we got about 75 orders in that initial campaign and realized at the end of it that like our product was nowhere near finished. And so that was one of those campaigns that took two years to ship because <laughs> we had a lot to learn at the time, but got it, got it all shipped out. And everyone was super happy with the product once they got it. And so we've, you know, from there, we've, we've kind of went all the different ways from switching manufacturers to going through a startup accelerator with Techstars and Comcast. We raised venture financing, you know, with a certain like business model and target in hand that was pretty experimental that was targeted at commercial spaces. And we got our commercial products stood up three months before the pandemic hit. So our timing just could not have been worse. And we managed to like, we attempted a pivot, launched an Indiegogo campaign that we totally, you know, blew it on for a variety of reasons, you know, and definitely no fault of Indiegogo. But that was like a good experience. You know, I wish I had had launch boom for that campaign, (laughs) but but yeah, so I mean, we did a, another pivot after that. And like this last year, we we got to sort of prototyping a new product, looking at our manufacturing processes and just kind of like looking at what's working for the business, looking at what we, you know, initially set out to create. And then also looking at what like materials on our like socials were sort of seeing the most traction. So long story short, we got we got around to building out the Sente, doing a very early prototype of it that we actually didn't even show in the campaign because it wasn't really a great representation of what the end product will be. But it was interesting because we we applied some of that social research. So like for example, on our YouTube channel, which like we don't have a lot of traffic on one of the videos that we posted a few years ago that has turned out to be like one of our most watched videos was our early prototype of the the modular like panel swap system. And that was, that's like a product we never released. And so it was interesting to see that that was getting a lot of views despite the fact, and like we, that's the only mention we had ever had of it. So 
that kind of clued us in that, you know, A, like for us as users, because like we, we started this company because we love this stuff and we feel like a lot of what's going on out there in this space is like not done right. I mean, most of it really, the, the arcade space in general is like, how do I say, <laughs> like lacking, like it's, it comes from a place of love, but like most, so many of the products out there are just like not well executed or they, they execute one part really well. And then they like kind of ignore the other parts because like an arcade platform or an arcade machine has like a lot of components and it can be hard to do all of those components. There's a hardware and manufacturing component. There's a software component. There's a game licensing component. If you're doing it right, you know, most, most businesses leverage piracy to solve that. But so, which obviously is not a good business decision, but so there's a lot to be desired in the arcade space. So we set out to solve that. So I actually want to ask you, Tyler, about the, some of those mistakes that you mentioned that you made earlier. And it kind of correlates to what you were just talking about the parts that other arcade manufacturers are weaker at, right? What were some of those things that you did differently from your original launch that took two years to deliver your first iteration of the product? And then to what you just launched. Yeah, totally. So I'm originally a software engineer. And so when, you know, I started, I'd like wanted to build my own arcade machine for a long time. I grew up around arcade machines and, and playing a lot of arcade games on any other device than an arcade machine just doesn't really feel right. Um, plus an arcade machine has like a lot of unique aspects of it. Like it's, sort of this always on dedicated hardware. So like the TV and speakers don't belong to any other device. They're not shared. So that just kind of makes it easier to use and like less like clunky and it's a better social device. It's like sort of adds to the like living room experience. Right. But so when I got started like playing around with this stuff, it was, you know, played around with hardware in the past, but I've never like manufactured a product, which is a completely different <laughs> can of worms. And like when you're getting ready to like ship a bunch, like 75 arcade machines freight all over the country, the last thing you want is like a lot of problems with those machines and like to give people like a, something that's like not going to work for them. Right. So, so I had a lot to learn about manufacturing and like and like end products and like the first machine was beautiful it worked really well there were absolutely flaws in it probably the biggest flaw with that machine is that it, it was really hard to like take apart and fix when something did go wrong and typically like you know stuff doesn't really go wrong except that at that time we like chose a certain joystick that like ended up failing after a couple years for people that like used it a lot we've switched away from that stick now and like we've never had a stick go bad since but so lots of lots to learn about like building and shipping hardware so the new model the polycade sente and granted that was like v1 we've been through like four other versions now over the years how many years ago was this eight years 28 years ago wow yeah talk about overnight success 
Yeah, yeah, blood, literal blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> yeah, but so the so it's it's been a lot of revisions, and with the sente, like we we always kind of wanted the because basically after V one we sort of like landed at the Lux product, what we call the Lux, and we thought that that was going to sort of be the end all design, but there were a few decisions we made at like early on with that product that not like big bad ones but like ones that sort of held us back and so with the sente we decided we were gonna like start fresh and basically like fix all of that so like as an example like the sente is a little smaller which like saves like 150 bucks in shipping which is meaningful right and additionally the lux like not a ton of people noticed this, but a few did. And like the, the, there's an optimal viewing distance for a monitor. Um, so like, and you can look this up online. It's like science, but the Lux was like a little too big of a monitor for how close you are to it. And so like when you're playing a game, that's like really fast paced, it can be a little hard. And so like Cuphead was a great example. And that was like the game that like, so maybe like two of our customers cited as like hard to play with that ratio that that distance ratio so when we started testing like a slightly smaller screen we were like god this feels great like my eyes are more relaxed like it just feels better and it's funny because everyone always wants like a bigger 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 monitor on an arcade machine like that's just better but so like a lot of these like little things the other thing like the Lux had a two and a quarter inch trackball, which is like not the, the most of the arcade machines that use the trackball use a, a three inch trackball. So that's like your golden tee and, and most of those titles. The Lux button panel was too shallow to fit a three inch trackball and also too shallow to fit like larger devices, like, like an analog flight stick. So we basically set about to like fix some of these things, especially since we were going to this, this panel swap system. We wanted to make sure it was future proof and could handle these other devices. So it sounds like you learned a lot about the product design and what would break and what wouldn't break over time, like the joysticks that you were you talked about. What were some of the things that you did from a marketing and sales standpoints? on from your first launch and this recent launch yeah totally so so our first launch what we did was like we followed like and i'm sure this is mega outdated but still semi-relevant but we followed tim ferris's like how to like run a successful kickstarter campaign guide and so that most of what we did around the like his advice in that in that guide was reach out to bloggers like relevant bloggers for our product and try to get them to like write an article on launch day we basically got a response from nobody except for our number one pick which was awesome and that number one pick was a writer named randy slavey for and he wrote for geek dad so that's literally all we did from a marketing perspective we also like had like a little bit of a uh, 
how do you say, like, unfair advantage. My dad is the creator of Atari, so I'm, like, kind of responsible for arcade machines in the first place. <laughs> so, like, that helped. You know, once someone got to the page, they had, like, some confidence that this was a real thing. So, but, yeah, so, like, the, the marketing for, so, like, Randy Slavey posted that article on launch day, and we got picked up like it it basically like got like a few other blogs to pick it up and then about halfway through the campaign uncrate like posted an article about the campaign and that's that like sort of was a a major inflection point for the campaign yeah i mean i certainly see that happening less and less nowadays in terms of press and media outlets picking up crowdfunding launches yeah Someone said this to me recently that like, or actually maybe like five years ago, <laughs> that like a crowd, like there was a time when like a crowdfunding campaign was news. And that's like not really the case anymore. Correct. Correct. And so actually it's funny when I launched my first crowdfunding campaign, the Tim Ferriss blog post, Hacking Kickstarter is the name of it. Okay, yeah. Uh, is what I also used as well. And then because it worked so well, but it felt, I mean, that was published, gosh, it must have been 2012, right? Yeah. The example that you used was Soma Water. And our CEO, Mark Picota, actually wrote an updated version of it in 2017 called Hacking Kickstarter 2.0. So if anyone wants to check that out, it's sort of our version of the updated Tim Ferriss article on how to hack Kickstarter and launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Awesome. Uh, Awesome. Yeah. But thanks for mentioning that. That's, yeah, that, that was an incredible resource for me as well. And, you know, frankly, I credit a lot of the uh, crowdfunding success that I've had personally to that initial article. So, what were some of the things that you did differently in your recent campaign, your second campaign? Yeah. So, so in this campaign, you know, we have like experimented in a, a little backstory first. We, we've experimented with, you know, selling our product for the last eight years, right? In different, different ways. Like we've done everything from like influencers and like top tier influencers. The, we've like hired agencies to run marketing and like, and like advertising, like web ads and, and, and with that sort of thing. And I hate agencies as a result. Like I just, We've never seen any level of success from agencies and like they're expensive and like the ads that they make suck. They're like, they're ads, right? And like people see them as ads. They sniff them out as ads. They just like, I feel like every agency we've ever worked with has been so uninspired and like they don't know our product and like they come in with this like, we're going to do everything for you. You don't have to do anything. And like, that's just a lie because they don't know your product. They don't have your images. They're like, you have to like collect all of your assets to give to them. You have to review all of the text that they write because it's all bad and it's all wrong. And it's not like you're like detracting from their sales pitch. They're just like saying in untrue stuff about your product. And like, that's not good. And so, like, the agency thing for us has just never worked. Now, we've never worked with, like, one of the really expensive agencies that, like, are charged, like, you sign away, like, a $100,000, like, you know, plan 
which is insane. But like, I just, it's never made sense. It's never worked for us. So this was like one of the reasons that like launch boom. And actually it was funny, Kevin, because we spoke, you know, before we signed up for launch boom. Correct. And I had this moment where I was like, we've got a small team. Like, I don't want to like do everything. And once I understood the launch boom system and like thought about past agency experiences, that was kind of like a turning point for me. And like why I ended up signing up on launch boom was because I knew that agency experience was bad and was also going to take me like pretty much an equivalent amount of time, but I will relinquish control and I won't like be in charge of my own campaign. Right. And so, so that's, that was, was the decision-making moment. And I really love the launch boom system because it teaches the like company, the product owner that teaches us how to market and advertise and run our own campaign launch like this we can use moving forward forever and like we can do it we've like learned we can do it so so much better than anyone else can and so like and the the fact that it like and and literally all we did for this campaign was like the launch boom system. We didn't even reach out to bloggers this time, like which actually was a mistake. We should have done that. We we like once the campaign launched, we realized, oh, we didn't do that other thing. <laughs> like <laughs> we should so we like started doing some of that reach out, but we should have had that stuff ready to go. We just were like focusing in on the advertising stuff and it was really working. And so there, you know, we just continued to optimize that and and like now that's, those are fantastic data points also that we can carry forward. You know, we know like for the first time in eight years, what our actual customer, customer acquisition cost is, which is incredible. And we also know like how there's selling a high, you know, I mean, selling a higher price product is like a little bit of a different like advertising and marketing strategy than selling something that's like 50 bucks or under because it's a longer sale, right? And so there's some nuances in there that like the agencies we worked with in the past totally failed at. And so like the launch boom system natively like works that way, but in any case, we knew going into it that like there were certain key components like building a list and like, you know, using leads as like a success point and a conversion in ads as opposed to a sale. Um, and so, yeah, all we did was run ads. Yeah. So you talked about understanding your customer acquisition cost for the first time. What were some of the other things that you found valuable that you were able to learn along the way? Well, I mean, connected to that, like just the like funnel system, right? And like how to think about different types of users that have like a different level of commitment along the way. So like, I think your guys like credit card thing is like a very great system because we definitely saw that where like the 
a customer that's pulled out their credit card even to just spend one dollar has a way higher purchase intent than someone who just drops their email in so like that was a big one and i think is a is very very interesting to see understand like running a like proper email campaign was like another thing that we learned like we haven't really done that before the i mean definitely running ads i don't know if we like running ads in general like doing like running ads on facebook is confusing like extremely super mega confusing and so like having a video that's just like do this and like being able to like rewind a little bit and be like okay pause like let me see how this works like is everything i mean i even like you know have looked back at those videos like multiple times throughout the process because like again like there are so many options in facebook advertising that like you you need something to demystify that and then i would also say like the just the general templating system for the whole running the whole campaign that that launchboom has set up is super valuable right because it like iterating on what works is time consuming and expensive but taking an existing template and dropping your product and like copy in is mega easy and it like that demystification can only happen across either like many years for a company like putting a lot of time and resources into it or an outfit like Launchboom that like gets to do this across many companies all the time, right? Like that's impossible to replicate basically. So, so that template system I think is, was super valuable for us and will be valuable for us moving forward. And I think that connects really well with what you were talking about earlier regarding agencies, right? And what we've learned as Launchboom over time is the value that it, launch is able to offer isn't necessarily the that much of the implementation of different things it's the knowledge that is accumulated across all the different campaigns and the systems that have been proven to work and the implementation is i don't want to say it's a waste of time or a waste of resources but like without the creator's inputs and the creative direction the branding and the product specific knowledge it's very, very inefficient for someone else without that knowledge to do. Totally. Yeah. Great example is the, like the ad that worked for us, an agency never would have been able to create that. Like we had to create that ourselves. And I think that, that your guys direction on like what works best was spot on. Like we tested a bunch of different ads in the initial process. And like the one that we like that you guys were like, this is usually what works best. Like that worked best by a long shot. <laughs> what were some of those things that worked best? The like testimonial video. That's like sort of like a user generated content, right? So it's like not studio. It's not like, it's literally like holding a phone. So it's like, you know, low budget. I mean, and, and like I, I cut that video myself, I filmed it and like put it into After Effects myself and like did the whole video. Um, and it worked great. <laughs> That's awesome. How long did it take you to put that together? That's a good question. I mean, the 
definitely like a couple days maybe you know like maybe a little less like hard to say because there was like initial iterations and then like you know one thing that i actually didn't find a good solution for was like subtitle like automatic subtitle thing that would have saved me a lot of time because i did that like manually in after effects and it was a giant time sink <laughs> that makes sense so you have to manually transcribe what you were saying and put that into uh, overlaying that text over your video. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then and that that also makes it like hard to edit the video because if you move things around for like a different shape of video, then like now you got to move all that text. <laughs> well, next time, let us know. We have partners that can do that for a very very affordable cost. <laughs> okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be also like some AI like caption thing at some point, like at this point. Oh, yeah. There definitely is. There definitely yeah. Is. So, what's, how did you, so you've been working on this for, I mean, at least eight years at this point, right? How long have you been working on this in total? Like, started fooling around with like building my own arcade machines about a year before we launched the Kickstarter campaign. Okay. So, we'll call it nine years, right? Yeah. What motivated you to start the business and, come up with these products so initially i just wanted my own arcade machine and the i like sort of ran into this problem where i told my wife who was an interior designer that i was going to put an arcade machine in the living room and she was like oh absolutely not <laughs> she likes like you know mid-century modern sort of design and there's no place for an arcade machine in her space so i was like okay well this is something we can solve like it just needs to look different. So I like made like 20, 30 designs and then she's like, okay, pointed at one, like that can go in the living room. Um, so that's what I started building. And in the process, I, I bought like every arcade control, like all the different joysticks, like all the different buttons. I like really like dove in and, and tested everything. I tried like tons of different controller boards and and like, you know, initially the, the like goal was retro games. And then a friend of mine was like, have you ever played Downwell? And that's like a, a recent Devolver a digital indie game. Yeah, recent, I mean, it's probably 10 years old now, but the, I, I booted that up on, or I, I figured out, I mean, that was that I ran into a new problem with that because most like arcade controller boards don't work for modern games or like they're really like annoying to get working for them um so that like sort of like got me going in a different direction in the hardware um but the game was awesome it plays like an old arcade game uh fantastic game and so like that sort of like opened the world of like an arcade machine to like all the different modern titles uh, most of which are indie titles that play fantastic on an arcade machine. And so that was a, like an eye-opener as well. But so once we had the initial product or, or I built the initial one and like friends would come over and like play it and be like, this is amazing. And like, and like the, you know, the design was different than your typical arcade machine and so the thought at that point was like, maybe other people want this. 
and like at that time in the world like arcade arcade gaming hadn't really come back like it was still sort of sleeping um and now since then you've had like arcade one up and like some of these other companies like come out um with products that people see everywhere now um but yeah at that time like the bar arcade phenomenon was like like much not it was like picking up it was like you know we knew it was sort of becoming a thing and so yeah the thought was like maybe other people want this and like a crowdfunding campaign is the best way to test that yeah so i was gonna ask you you know you have venture funding like why launch a crowdfunding campaign manufacturing and hardware is like there's a funny there's a saying in startup communities that hardware is hard software is like malleable you can up push updates anytime like you like in today's world of software like the pattern is like release something that's basically broken and then fix it as you go and so but hardware doesn't have that luxury right like manufacturing is expensive shipping and logistics and supply chain and like there's just a million things that like don't exist in software so hardware is hard and you also have like other things like you know you have to put up a whole bunch of money and decide what your like order quantity is before like you sell it in most cases right and so like if you get that wrong and you suddenly have a warehouse full of stuff that no one wants to buy like you are in trouble that's like the type of thing that folds a company and so I think in most, unless you like already have like significant data that indicates a product is going to work for your customers and like in terms of like they want it, then you should really launch a product with a crowdfunding campaign because that's going to tell you some like super important things. It's going to tell you like what order quantity you should make, you should like create right off the bat, right? And that's like a mega important data point. And so like for us, like that was, we've to date sold a product that is $5,000. That's the Polycade Lux. And that product's made to order in the US. Part of why it's priced high, costs a lot to make. The Sente is almost the same thing, but it's mass produced overseas. So this different manufacturing process, when you make things to order, the risk is much lower. But when you mass produce something, there's a much higher risk because you're doing it all at once and then you're warehousing it somewhere. So for us, we needed to know at this lower price point, what's our market? Like how many people are going to order this? Because that's going to tell us how many to make. So that was really the most important data point for us. The other thing that's nice about a crowdfunding campaign is that you get like some great feedback for cus from customers before you manufacture the product. So like we've already changed some stuff about the product based on backer feedback, right? So like if we went and like manufactured a bunch of these and then everyone was like, you should have done X, Y, Z, like that's a bummer for everybody, right? It's a bummer for the user that like is like, it's good, but it's like sort of missing this other thing. And it's a bummer for us because like then we might have to like make a new revision 
maybe that revision is not even possible. So like, it's, it's a great way to like engage your audience and like understand what they want, which might be a little different. Even if you like are a user of your own product, like some people might have different goals with it and you're going to learn from them. Yeah. And I mean, as product creators, we're so like deep into the product and developments, we always feel like we need to be doing more and it's not quite there, quite perfect. Right. And totally. we've been seeing some of our clients make iterations and adjustments, whether they're small or large, when they get those dollar deposits in, right? Even right. before the launch of the campaign, they're engaging with those true fans, if you will, that see the products, see the price, and are willing to share their credit card information with you. Right. And that I've seen so many people avoid some major landmines along the way in terms of over-engineering or tooling for things that are unnecessary, et cetera, because they got that customer feedback. So honestly, that's one of the biggest mistakes that I personally see people make. They're building, 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 spending a lot of money on product development, patents, IP, not even just money, like the time right? Yeah. Lime is of essence in, in the startup and they're not even engaging with customers. I mean, they might do some surveys or talk to friends and family, but that's very, very different from putting the product out there and seeing and with the price and seeing whether or not people give you their credit card information. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't beat like a customer, even like one that doesn't even have the product in hand yet. Right. And like someone that's an early adopter and, and, you know, that, I think that was, that's another thing I like about crowdfunding in general is like, there is a different like precedent and understanding for a lot of users about like what sort of stage of the product you're getting in there, they're getting involved in. And so like, I think you get some really cool feedback and just like you find out who your bet, like your most excited users are and like what they want. There's just, a, it's a good, it's, it's a good way to get a product out into the world. Yeah. What would you say is a common mistake that you see other people make or that you've made yourself and, and that you think people can avoid agency thing? You know, I don't know. We had like, there's, there's a lot of outfits that like want to take a percentage of like your campaign and like that didn't feel right to us. The, you know, and that's like, whether it's like on the marketing side or, or otherwise, I think in some cases that makes sense, but, and I don't know if that's a mistake like that. It just didn't work for us or like, we didn't want to do that. So I don't, you know, I don't know what to say there, but what other, I mean, I think I've seen people launch a hardware product like without a crowdfunding campaign i think that's a, like a mistake like a launch a new hardware product without running a crowdfunding campaign is the wrong way to do that in my opinion and like usually people's reason for that is that or at least the reason that i've heard is that they don't want to run a crowdfunding campaign that fails because then they can't go and like raise like investment. It will like look bad for their product moving forward. So that's actually an interesting thing. Like, you know, 
I'd have referred them to LaunchBoom if I'd have had like known about you guys because I think that's one thing that is like a confidence builder in your system is that you get to know that your campaign's going to succeed before you launch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a pretty typical misunderstanding that we commonly see as well. It's like people think that the launch is the actual launch, but what the way that we see it is the launch is actually the two months prior to the launch of the actual campaign, right? That's when your product is actually out there and in front of customers or prospective customers and allowing them to provide you with insights and feedback using that dollar deposit again, right? After they see the price of your products and whether or not they opt in. And that, that allows you to have room and time to make adjustments and optimizations and strategize and even make updates to your product like we just talked about earlier. So that makes a lot of sense. What advice would you give people who are thinking about launching their own products right now? You know, I mean, not to reiterate things we've said, but I think understanding your own like advertising and marketing is an extremely important component for any business, right? Being able to run that yourself and like run your sales. I mean, we've done that for a long time by just like attempting other methods but but not actually running like advertising and advertising is super powerful right there's a spend involved but like it you have such great control over like reaching customers with advertising whereas like most other methods methods are like super fuzzy where you're like not super sure if it worked and like yeah, it's hard to track, right? Like, and, and that's like literally the entire thing about like digital advertising is that like now we can like track conversions. We know exactly what worked and we can like rapidly test a lot of things against each other, right? And so, whereas like when you put a billboard out there, you're just like, I don't know. Yeah, we got some sales. Maybe like, maybe it's from the billboard. I don't I couldn't tell you. <laughs> You know, I mean, like we talk to like our customers a lot. And so we, we sometimes find out that way, but like, again, like you just can't beat trackable advertising. And so, you know, I think for a, someone launching a new product, like starting there is the best thing you can do from, from a product marketing standpoint. And to tie that back to what you said about agencies too, right? If, you know, it's tough to work with an agency for all the things that you discuss, but then also let's just say it works. It's very hard for you to understand what actually works and what are the things that you can continue working on and iterating on to build your business and the foundation of your business, right? Versus right. like really understanding the advertising and marketing for your own products. You can always hire that out later. But in the very, very beginning, so many people try to outsource it and hire it out and say, hey, I'm a product creator, or I'm an engineer, so I'm not even going to touch this. Right. I think that's a limiting belief, frankly, because Facebook is complicated. Advertising can be confusing. But I mean, I started advertising in 2012 and it was a lot cheaper back then. It was way more complicated, right? And over the last 10, 11 years, 
Facebook has made it so easy for companies to spend money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's gotten more expensive, but it's gotten also a lot easier, especially if there's a, a system that you can follow. And like, it doesn't even have to be launch boom system, right? There's a lot of free YouTube videos out there about how to do this too. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think the, some of that like is a little tough to piece together and having it on rails for you is nice. You, you also mentioned one thing I want to add in here, cause you did mention like what didn't work and I'm just reminded of that. So we had like a few paid articles where we like paid for this article and that didn't really work. And like those, I won't mention which ones, but like they were expensive and like didn't really drive any conversions. And so like, I think when it comes to like blogs and articles and things like that, like you can find ones that will do it for free and that works and you can find ones that like make a like aggressive business out of it and like funny enough those ones didn't work for us um so like i would be careful about where those kind of dollars go to um, we did have like a couple like you know or i think we did one of the like you know, email lists for crowdfunding campaigns. That's a paid one. And, and that worked well enough. I, I actually have to check and make sure that those users did not back out. But, but last I checked it, it, it looked like that had worked. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like you said, anything out of advertising where you're getting that immediate feedback is a little tough to track and whether or not you're getting a positive ROI, especially for, you know, startups with a limited budget or founders with a limited budget. We always advise, you know, being very careful with those and allocating as much budget to advertising as possible, because again, that's very trackable and you're getting that. Yeah. But the, the ones that I'm talking about were even trackable where we gave them a tracking link that they used in their article and like all of that kind of stuff. And so like, like being able to see that, like shake out didn't really work right now maybe there's some peripheral like effects of those things right so like one in interesting thing that we saw and i don't know if we have to go but and this is mentioned in the launch boom like campaign stuff but when you are actually running the campaign and running ads to the campaign sometimes like attribution is difficult where like someone might click on the ad go to the page not buy it in that moment but come back later or, or like see it somewhere else maybe they saw it on one of those articles that didn't work or we thought didn't work or whatever they type it in directly they like end up on your instagram profile they click the link in bio right they they get to the page and like the conversion event happens at like one of those other moments so like because we did actually at one point stop advertising on our campaign I think that was in like the third or fourth week. And even though we were like seeing like, you know, decent conversions on the ads, we were seeing like pretty good, like conversions overall on the campaign. And as soon as we stopped the ads, 
a lot of those like other conversions went away too. So like, you know, the link in bio, the like some of these other places that people were getting to the page and then buying those, those went away. So like, I, I do think that like, even though, you know, when you're running the ads, attribution can be difficult and it like doesn't always shake out. They might still be working. Right. Right. Now that's a very, very good points. We're coming up on time here, Tyler, but it's such a pleasure to sync up over this podcast. Like you said, we had a much, you know, a longer conversation right before you joined Launchboom. And now that your campaign has just recently ended and you've raised over $1.6 million, it's really great to sync up again, talk about your learnings, where you're at, mistakes, and hopefully help some other people avoid these mistakes. Um, is there anything else that you want to leave with the audience before uh, we wrap up here? Any asks of the listeners? Oh, yeah. I mean, go buy a Polycade Sente. <laughs> Where did they find that? Yeah, so just polycade.com. <laughs> but yeah, we it's a product we love. You know, we're super excited to get the panel swap system like into people's hands. And, you know, we continue to update the software and add more games and everything else. So we're we're super excited about what we're building and it's it started from a place of love and it continues in a place of love. Yeah, I love that how it started was from you building something for yourself. Some of the most successful products and businesses are started that way. So good on you for continuing that journey <laughs> despite all the ups and downs along the way. And I'm really, really excited for you, Tyler, and what you've been able to achieve with the recent launch. I think it's just going to be upwards and onwards from here. So congratulations. And thank you so much for taking the time to join me on this podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Much appreciated for your help. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review at launchboom.com forward slash podcast or on Spotify. Every review makes a massive difference because it only allows more people to benefit from the experiences of our incredible guests. You can also sign up for a free newsletter at launchboom.com forward slash newsletter. Learn how to bring your product idea to life with crowdfunding just five minutes a week. We send one no BS email every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening.